Hey, thanks for tuning in to Hillside Juniata Sermons Podcast, where our goal is to make committed followers of Jesus. We want to encourage you that if you're not already connected to a local church, that you'll find a place where you can connect, grow, serve, and go. But wherever you are today, we hope and pray that God will use this sermon for His glory and our greatest good. Thanks again for tuning in. We're continuing a series. Bless you. That's going to be happening. There are tissues on the ends here. If if you need one, just raise your hand and we'll pass them down. Hopefully they will be unused by the time they get to you. Um, But we're in a series called Fresh Faith. And this has come at a very appropriate time. It is cold, and it's depressing outside. And I think if we're honest, we all kind of wrestle with this idea of how do we have a fresh faith? How do we maintain fervor and excitement and passion for the Lord in times that are difficult, in times that are what we're seeing normal? And it makes me think of times of old. I don't know uh, if you think much about the, the wonder years, the yesteryears, and uh, just to Think about what things used to be like. And and what we're going to talk about today is in Malachi chapter 3. So if you'd like to turn to page 858 in the Bibles in the pews. uh, We're going to to be in chapter 3 today. And what we're talking about is something that, thankfully, you give me the opportunity to smile about. Because uh, you are a blessing. But I thought way back when, when we used to... Has anyone been in churches where when they, they would take up a time of tithes and offerings and they would pass the plates... So they, they still do that. We don't, however. We have them in the back, and, and we don't have that time. But I remember this story that I heard one time. It's not funny. Okay. So there, was, uh, there were these women, and they were sitting in, in the pew. And in front of them, uh, they were watching the plate be passed. And in front of them, they saw a man reach in and take money out of the plate as it passed by. And they were just furious. I mean, they went. I, I would be shocked. I'd be like, what? What are you doing? It made me picture when they were telling me the story of the, the Home Alone bandit, you know, with a stick, and he just sticks his hand in, and he's got all the money on his hand. I just pictured, like, what in the world just happened? They said they were furious. They were just disgusted and appalled. They're like, how could he do that? And they just thought, oh, this is terrible. You know, it's just the gall. You know, well, the service ends and passes, and the next Sunday, there he is again. He did it again. And they're, they're going, are you serious? This is terrible. For a month. They watched this guy take money out of the plate. And they were just so upset. They said, you know what? If he's going to do that, they, they decided the second week of seeing that, that we're not going to give. Because it's going to get stolen anyway. So when the plate passes, we're just going to let it pass on by. And we're not going to give because this guy's just going to steal it anyway. Well, after a month of this, they were so angry, so furious. They decided we're going to go talk to this man. So after the service ends, they, they walk up to the guy and they're like, excuse us. Sir, we have caught you red-handed and we are, quite frankly, disgusted. And they say, we have watched you every week steal from the Lord. You stuck your hand and you pulled from the plate. How dare you need to return all of that back to the Lord? And the man, very, he was silent, received this, and he was very gentle in his response. And he said to them, he said, I'm so sorry, I've not been stealing from the Lord. He said, I run a very strict budget and I was making change. Oh, and I think that is so appropriate for what we're going to see in Malachi chapter 3 today. Because what ended up happening is, the truth is, it wasn't the man that was found to be a thief that day. It's actually the women. Because 
You and I, we may have never taken from God. We may have never, you know, unlocked the thing and stole all the money and we robbed God in that way, but we very much can fall guilty of robbing God in the way that we refuse to give what is rightly God's. And that's what we're going to see today. Robbery is not just making what belongs, taking what belongs to someone, but it's depriving what someone deserves. And that someone today is the Lord. We're going to be talking about something very near and dear, very, it's going to hurt. Okay, Malachi, I was, as we're at, if you've been reading, I can't, I can't not read Malachi and just sit there nervous, you know, just reading the Lord of hosts and he's, he's bringing these accusations and it's just like, oh, this is, this is tense, this is, this is offensive. But what he's saying here is when we refuse to give our tithe, we're robbing God and our main point for the day is we give God some because he owns all. We give God some because he owns all. And, and we understand this. As a believer, we know money is never a money issue. It's never a money issue. Money is always a spiritual issue. Always. So we may not like to talk about money, but money talks a lot about us. So if you're uncomfortable talking about money, God talks about it a lot in Scripture. And we don't want to shy away from what God talks about because it addresses a core issue deep within us. If you want to know what's truly important in your life and mine, look where you spend your money. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, that your bank statement truly reflects what you value. And Scripture teaches us that if we love God, if you love God, then the way you use your money will absolutely reflect that love. So what we're going to see today in Malachi is Absolutely that. So um, if you're just joining us, the book of Malachi, it describes how God's people were basically living half-hearted, devoted lives to the Lord, where they had fallen into this trap of normalcy, where things were okay, the temple was rebuilt, there was nothing really big happening, no, no, nothing was going on here, and they, they had fallen complacent, and they had lost sight of the Lord. And it's in this place that the Lord sends Malachi, which means messenger, and he sends him, and we, we know, as the last call for, for 400 years to his people to say, hey, wake up. Wake up. This is what matters. And he addresses them. He addresses them for several different things. He tries to expose the issues of their heart. Because he understood, God knows, that it's very easy for us to look committed to look like a passionate follower of Christ on the outside, while yet on the inside, our hearts can be so far from God and far from the things of God. So throughout Malachi, God's confronting that. He's correcting that. He's challenging his people to return to him. And so as we return to him, experience fresh faith. And that's why we're going through this series, is, is to be confronted in the kindness and the love of God and so experience fresh faith. So last week, um, we, we talked about giving God our best, not what is last. How it's important for us that there's a danger and destruction of half-hearted devotion. We need to deepen our devotion, actually. It's not do more, it's deepen our devotion. Recognize and realize who God is and so respond to him with a heart change. And this week, we're saying give God some because he owns all. And again... God cares so much more about the posture of our heart than our religious activity, which is why our memory verse for this series is Psalm chapter 51, verse 17. So let's read this together out loud, hide it into our hearts. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, 
O God, you will not despise. May this be our heart posture as we receive admonishment from the Lord that we will be broken for our half-heartedness, that we'll be broken, that we'll have a contrite heart before Him because that is the offering that God will not despise. So as we do this, I pray that we will develop and have a fresh faith. And I, and I pray that if you're here today and you feel spiritually cold, you feel spiritually numb, where you're just disinterested, that you feel hollow, the call from Malachi is to consider the posture of your heart today. So if you're not already there, turn to page 858. Um, and to bring us up to speed, it's, it's what's been happening in, in chapters 1 and 2 is Malachi has been addressing the priests. And remember, he, he says, if I'm a father, where's my honor? You know, if I'm a master, where's my respect? He's addressing them and seeing that by their half-hearted devotion of their lack of giving the right, the first, the best, the offerings to the Lord, he's saying, you've not honored me. You've not respected me. You've not given me reverence that is due my name as the Lord of hosts, as Tom shared with us. In fact, the Lord of hosts here, it's brought to my attention today, the Lord of hosts is used most in the book of Malachi than any other book in the entire Bible. And there's something profound to be said about that. That the God, the sovereign Lord, is addressing his people with a heart problem to say, there is something not right here. And it should cause us to wake up but not only that, is as Tom's mentioned, he said, it is just, it's to allow us to see that God is so much bigger. It's so much bigger than our activity. It's so much bigger than our error. He is sovereign and he deserves our best and he is the best. He is in charge. And when we see God that way, we find safety, refuge, desire, fresh Faith, And that's who we approach today. In chapters 1, he dealt with the quality of their offering. And in chapter 3 here today, he's going to talk about the quantity of their offering. And both the issues are that their unfaithful of unbelieving hearts were revealed. And we're going to see what will happen to these people who were not willing to give God what he rightfully deserves. We need to give God some because he owns all. So first point, we're going to begin in verse 8, chapter 3, verse 8. The first point, he's going to show us the priority of tithing. The priority of tithing. So we're going to walk slowly through 8 here, uh, but we're going to begin. So first verse, right out the gate, he spares no punches. Will a man rob God? That, as you sit with that question, you say, how in the world can someone rob God? No one's running up to heaven, opening the vault and being like, ha ha, I gotcha. How does a man rob God? And honestly, who would have that audacity to say, you know what? I'm going to go straight to the Lord. I'm going to rob from the, from the Lord. So he poses this question and then he follows that with an unbelievable statement that we need to hear. Will a man rob God yet... You are robbing me, exclamation point. Ouch. If you're like me, you go, well, wait a second. How am I robbing you? How in the world am I falling accused here, guilty here, Lord? Because God pointed out to the people, as much as you cannot believe that anyone would even tempt to rob the Lord, you're the ones who are robbing me. Now, he's speaking to the Israelites. So, so we need to see vicariously through this experience of what the Israelites, his chosen people, are receiving, this rebuke from the Lord. And we need to say, okay, 
How can we learn from that? Okay, so the Israelites are receiving this rebuke of saying, you have robbed me. He keeps on going. He gave them an unexpected answer because they asked the question, but how? How have we robbed you? And he concludes with these, these two things, in tithes and offerings. Doesn't make sense, does it? How are we robbing you if we're giving you our tithes and our offerings? Because he's highlighting something here. Our tithes and offerings, he's highlighting, it. you did not rob me by taking anything from me. He's saying, you've robbed me by denying from me what belongs to me. I think it's important for us to, to make that distinction. By our half-hearted devotion to the Lord, we can so neglect to give to the Lord what is due His name. When we come to worship together, when we stand here, when we bring an offering to the Lord, we need to understand the severity of what it is to bring anything less than our best. Anything less than a broken and contrite heart. Anything that says, I'm going to function in this heartless expression. God says, that is not okay. That is dangerous. That is robbing me of what is due my name. So as an aside, I want to encourage you, before we come together on Sundays, whatever you need to do to get yourself in a place where you can think rightly about the Lord and posture your heart to approach Him, do that. If you need to get up early and just say, God, I'm mad. God, I'm I'm upset. God, I've got all these things going on that if I come into worship, I'm going to be thinking about all these million things. Get those out of the way so you can approach the Lord and say, I'm ready, Lord, to give you my honest self. I think we just so, we're, we're, we're quick to come in, we're quick to find our seat, and then we're, we've, and then we're, all, we're having to sing, and it's like, my heart is, is dead. My heart's like still frantic from everything going on, and we want to provide a sanctuary, a place where we can come together and we can say, I'm ready. I might not be excited. I might not be feeling this. I might not be in this place like some of you today can say, your fate, you've been goodness my whole life, but I'm here And in in the best that I know how, I'm giving you my everything. That's the posture of worship that God deserves. And that's what we ought bring him. So in essence, what happens when we fail to give him what he deserves, we are simply claiming ownership over something that doesn't belong to us. So the people were robbing God because they were taking what belongs to him in tithes and offerings. And, and there's a few things that we want to talk about, uh, explain before we go further. That the, There are two principles that impact the way we understand giving tithe and robbing God. And the first one is this. We need to understand as his children, one, God owns everything. It all belongs to him. That needs to be our framework for the way that we view life. Everything that you and I have, the very breath that we breathe is all a gift. Everything Belongs to him. Psalm 24, verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. Deuteronomy chapter 10, 14. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Haggai chapter 2, verse 8. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. And Colossians 1, 16 says, For by him all things were created both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and, in, and, and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. 
It is good theology to understand everything belongs to the Lord. So that's the first thing to understand. The second thing is, if everything belongs to the Lord, then we need to understand we are only administrators of what we have from God. You and I are administrators. Administrators are not the owners of the business or the organization, but they're responsible for running them. And administrators, they simply run the business or organization the way the owner wants them to. Great administrators show up and they say, aye, aye, captain, how do I make your will done? I see some administrators around the room. They're like, yes, that is our job. We kill it, and I'm so grateful for you. By the way, administrators, please rise. We, we need some administrators. I need one in my life. Um, we will be looking very... Okay, so administrators just take that which is someone else's and they use that wisely. So all of us should consider how are we operating as administrators of God's resources? Are we running our time? Are we managing our time, talents, and treasures in a way that's honoring to God, honoring to ourselves, or in a way that is haphazardly? We don't give time and attention to it. And as a result of those two principles, if we can see those things rightly, know that God owns and we administrate, we can then understand that by not participating in tithes and offerings that we end up robbing God. So, what is a tithe? Okay, I think it's important that we educate. What is a tithe? Tithe literally means tenth. Tenth. So, what he's talking about here, tithing, it's returning, and this phraseology matters, it's returning the first 10% of our income to God for his work and purposes to be accomplished. So I think we get it twisted. Notice that the word is returning, not giving. We're administrators, and God has required of us, he's demanded of us that we return a tenth to him, the first tenth, the first tenth to him. So when we return our first tenth to him, we are participating in tithing. So here in Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, we're told that when we do not return the first tenth back to God, We're robbing him. And the question then is, how are we robbing him? So for those of us resting in the new covenant, here's what I would say. There are those that believe tithing is an Old Testament command. I would say you are correct. It was established in the Old Testament. And we don't have time, but to talk about we are now under a new covenant, and that new covenant is a covenant of grace. And actually, if you look through the New Testament, we would see that grace would actually call us to so much more than a tenth. So if we're wanting to to argue here the Old Testament, say, well, I don't want to give a tenth, the New Testament would say, yeah, you should give more. Like, tenth is a minimum. So we, as recipients of grace, we who are fully bought and, and experience the saving work of Jesus Christ, and we live and breathe and, and work in grace that is overflowing, how could we not then in view of all of that, respond to the Lord and say, absolutely, I will begin at a tenth. I will give, I will return to you what is rightfully yours. It's it's absolutely imperative that we, as beneficiaries of his grace, that he lavishes upon us, that we joyfully return a tenth of what already belongs to him. Our first fruits, our first tenth, our best. It should be our desire. Yet even in grace, you and I sit here, we can become apathetic. 
we can easily fall into this it's mine category where we know and we expect grace. And that's what happened to the Israelites. They knew that they were God's chosen people. They saw the favor of the Lord. They experienced his blessing, his refuge. And then look at his response, God's holy response in verse 9 for something as simple as them not returning a tenth and offerings to them. Verse 9, you are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Okay, take a deep breath. God is not spewing a curse upon us today, okay? That's not what we're saying here. What we glean from this is that God cares very much about the posture of our heart. And the whole nation of Israel received a curse because they failed to give him their best. That's scary. (laughs) Because we can easily fall into this category where we participate as well. Where we think that we are not administrators, we're owners. That this 90%, that's mine. And so we view God wrongly. It's clear that God places a huge priority on our willingness and unwillingness to tithe. In His command, we give some because God owns all. So what's the purpose then of tithing? I think that's a big question. We, we want to know. Why? Why give a tenth? God doesn't need anything from us. God is fully sustainable in and of himself. He, in his triune nature, does not need you and I. He surely doesn't need my nickels and dimes, you know. And I think it's easy for us to go, well, this doesn't make any sense. Why, why does it matter that much? The purpose is, is that God has chosen to use you and I to help accomplish his work and purposes. And we see that in verse 10. Let's keep reading. Verse 10, it says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Now, here's here's what he's talking about. In the temple, they would bring their tithes, their first tenth. There would be a pool of all of the things that the people would brought so that they could provide food. There were multiple rooms in the temple. And the people would bring these things so that they could operate. They could do the work of ministry. However, these people chose to not provide so that the work of ministry could not move forward because the the people were not being responsible. So when you and I tithe, the purpose of tithe is so that we can be a part of pushing and moving forward the work of God which is exciting. That's something that we get to talk about and get creative about and ask the Lord and surrender, say, God, how do you want to make an impact here in Juniata and in Bellwood and Tyrone and to the ends of the earth? It's a big deal. God could supernaturally provide everything needed to move his work forward, yes, but he chose to use our tenth. And there's something beautiful in there if you really think about that. God chose to use us to be a part of that. And he can use even the smallest of a tenth for his purposes. And I think he wants to challenge us here in a way that he doesn't do anywhere else in Scripture. So next we see the promise of tithing. There is a promise that comes to tithing. And this can go very awry for some who uh, have the wrong heart posture. The next phrase in Malachi contains some words that's found nowhere else in Scripture. 
And the promise God made in this verse illustrates the high priority that he has for tithing. Let's keep reading in verse 10. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And he says, and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. Test me. That sounds scary, doesn't it? Test me. I, what he's saying there, he says, I dare you to prove me wrong. The Lord says, I dare you. Test me in this. And what does he say will happen, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you, this is beautiful, the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Does that ring a bell for anyone? There's only one other place that that window of heaven is mentioned in the Bible. It's Genesis chapter 7, when the Lord opens the floodgates of heaven and rains on the earth and floods the entire earth. Do you see that picture here that he's, he's painting for them? He, he says, test me in this and, and, and just see. Just, just hear, I dare you. See if I will not overwhelm you with a blessing until it overflows. And that's that word, this pouring out. It's, it's, uh, it's literally to empty out. And God's saying, if you will give me a tenth, if you will obey me, if you will surrender to me, if you will surrender your heart, your heart posture in this way, watch what I will do. God promises to open the windows of heaven and empty them of blessings so much that they'll overflow in the lives of people who tithe. So here's the crossroads, right? Some have taken this and they've said, name it, claim it. You know, if we have faith, I'm going to give and the Lord's going to get me a new car. You know, the Lord's going to bless me with a million dollars. And that's not what he's saying here. That's a different heart posture. Who's at the center of that? That's my improving. That's, that's a me-centered view of this promise. And God says, no, 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 that's not what it's about. This is not for you to say, hey, if you want to get rich, give me a tenth. I'll get you rich. No, he's saying, I will overwhelm you with a blessing. And those of us in this room who have challenged God in this way, we can say, I don't know how to explain it, but he does. I can personally attest that when you give God and you, you take up his test and say, I'm going to give this to you and it hurts and it's scary and I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet because 90%, I'm, I'm struggling with 100%. How can I take away a tenth of that and now be able to pay my bills and do the things I need to do in this 90%? And I'm looking around the room, and you know how I can tell there are tithers in this room? is because there's a lot of people going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And those of you who are nodding your head, I, I just want to say, please share that testimony. Testify to the Lord's goodness. If, you, if you're sitting next to someone who's like, mm-hmm, yes, I can, I can tell you. I've, I've tried this, and I've seen the Lord provide. It's amazing. Checks that come in the mail with the exact amount of money that you needed whenever you gave it away already. Stories that are just like, how in the world? None other than God could have provided. Because what happens when we tithe does something deep within us, and that's what God's getting at here. Tithing money, it's not about money. Very rarely. It's about so much bigger than that. So I smile talking about money because we understand here it's not about money. This is not about us getting rich, us having this storehouse so that we can go, ah, oh, I got nice clothes and everything's taken care of. No, this is about how can we advance the work of the Lord and how can we experience miracles? And the people get to experience God when they surrender their tithe. 
So if you hear someone who views God like a slot machine, where you just put in the quarters, cha-ching, and rain it down, that is not, we're not gambling with Jesus. We are saying, God, I'm going to obey you. I'm going to fearfully follow you, and I'm going to surrender to you what is rightfully yours as an administrator, and God will bless that obedience. I don't know how, but he does, and it's really exciting. And that brings us to our application. It should very, be very simple. Because this is true, what should we do? Like Malachi, I dare you to put this promise to the test. To do exactly what God said. Test God with your tithe. Test God with your tithe. And like, those, like I was look, I've been looking around the room and you've been seeing people nod, will you taste and see? I want to invite you into something that's really exciting. When you give God, when you participate in this way, you get to taste and see something, God at work, a miracle happening right in front of your eyes. And I can assure you that what you will discover is that with your 90% and the blessings of God, it will go so much further than 100% without the blessing of God. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is our provider. And we get to experience that when we surrender to him. The Bible speaks of the sparrows and the lilies. If he will not take care of the sparrows and the lilies, how much more will he not take care of you and I? It says, oh, you of little faith. This is a faith issue. Do you see? Money is a spiritual matter. It is not about money. This is us posturing our heart to say, God, I trust you. I trust you. I take you at your word. And I will obey. Do you want to prove that God's faithful? Do you want to prove that he's good, that he's gracious? If you do, test God with your tithe. So if you're a believer, I just want to challenge you. And you're not already tithing. If you've never tithed, you thought, I don't even know what this is. I've never even heard of this concept. We don't pass plates. We don't talk about it very much. It's in our scrolling announcements, and that's about it. If you haven't, I just want to encourage you. Just as a challenge, an exciting challenge, for the next 90 days, three months, I want to challenge you, find a place that is doing the work of the Lord and return your tithe to God. Just find a place. It could be here. It could be another church. It could be wherever God is doing the work of ministry, I want to encourage you to participate and then see what happens. So basically, you receive your check. You say, okay, I'm going to move the decimal point one to the left Yes? One to the left. Whatever that number is, that's a tenth. Okay? <laughs> Math. <laughs> Find a place that's doing the work of ministry and say, I'm going to give that. At least. Test God and see that he will not open the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing. So for three months, I just want to test him. See. And I, I assure you, the next time we talk about this, you're going to be going, mm-hmm. Yes, I don't know how he did it, but it's amazing. And it, it, it is a blessing to see the Lord in that way. And it has to be something that you decide in your heart. So God does not call us to anything half-hearted. He calls us to participate with a broken and contrite heart. So we approach the Lord and say, God, I want to do this. I, I, I don't want to, but I want to. It hurts, but I want to. And I want to give this to you because I love you. Not because some guy told me that I'm supposed to. Participate with a willing, joyful heart and just watch.
And here's the reality. Tithing, what will then happen, it creates within us a fresh faith. It does. When we surrender, usually the thing that is deep within us that we hold on to so dearly, and we say, "Uh, take that. We give this to the Lord. Ow, thank you, Sutton. Helping out there. It hurts. But we surrender that to him. He says, I see that. I will not despise that offering. And that's good. It doesn't need to be a lot. The first thing that that, um, happens in our life when we begin to tithe, there are two things. First, tithing teaches us and disciplines us to put God first. If we learn to put God first where our money goes, chances are he's got first place. When the thing that we need, that we've created, that keeps us going, keeps us eating, keeps us sleeping and and all of these things, when we can surrender that, he knows that he's got a hold of our heart because we've surrendered our, our needs to him. He gets rightful place as first. And then second, what happens is it deepens our faith in God. I think too often we wonder why, why, does, why does our faith seem to be so little? And I want to challenge you. Usually it's because you never actually need faith. Very rarely do we actually put ourselves in a place where we need the Lord to show up or else we're undone. That's not faith. That's I figured it all out and I'm going to move into my plan and I'm going to be just safe based on the little platform that I made for myself. Peter stepped out on a boat in a storm and he walked on water. That required faith. It didn't require faith for him to stand on the boat. So I want to challenge you. Trust the Lord. If you want a deep, thriving, fresh faith, participate in the things that are scary. Fear and courage walk hand in hand. The Lord wants us to not not be afraid. It's be afraid, yet go anyway. Experience courage. Experience the Lord holding you up, and it will change your life. Because you'll begin to see, "I I can walk on water because I'm just chasing after Jesus, and he's doing something that is so far beyond me that my faculties can't even comprehend. And I'm looking around going, how is this happening? And then what happens? The posture of our heart is finally right. Because we no longer become a picture. We're looking only at him. And everything that's happening around us is a miracle. And we know we're not taking credit for that. So this is so much more. This is so much bigger than a dollar. And we need to not stray away from talking about the things that are really happening within us. Money hurts because we hold on very tightly to it. But we need to encourage one another to say, no, 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 no. Let's hold on to the king. Let's put our trust and our hope in him. Not in, some, not in anything else. And that's what Malachi is calling them out. The people of Israel were falling complacent. They were falling into normalcy. And they were getting really good at their budgets and their plans. And they were, not, they were lacking faith. God calls us to faith. And I want to conclude with just this perspective for you. That tithing is so much bigger than a dollar sign. I want you to consider. I'm just going to walk through our calendar here. Consider all the opportunities that we've been able to be a part of in just this year. And there's so many more. January, you've helped teach the Bible to children during worship services by your tithes and your offering. For us, below our feet, Bellwood, it happens. Tyrone, it happens. All over the world, it happens because of your tithe. February, you've helped feed the hungry all around our community. 
March, you've helped train pastors and church leaders in the Czech Republic. In April, you've helped broadcast Bible teaching to people in Syria. May, you've helped educate children in Tunisia. Go, Lauren. Nailed it. June, we've led children to faith in Christ at VBS. July, you've helped transport, feed, feed, entertain, and disciple teenagers at camp. In August, you've helped train pastors in leadership and ministry. September, you've built wheelchair ramps, replaced sidewalks, fixed porches, repaired houses. And this month, you're helping share the gospel with families in Honduras. Do you see how exciting it is when you get to participate? This is what makes me so, I'm so proud to be here. I'm so proud to be a part of this. Because none of that said, you built anyone as, a, as an emperor. None of that says, we got rich. All of this says, we got to participate in what God's doing, not just here, but all over the world. And that's just a few of the things that God, that we know of. And to be honest, we don't even know the full scope. We just show up. And, and we have no idea all the things that God's doing, will do, and that God wants us to do. Which is why the call is to say, let's participate. Let's test them. Let's try it. Let's tithe. And let's see what God does. Does not Junietta need this? Do we not need this? Does the world not need to see what would happen if the Lord would just not flood the earth, but flood the earth with blessing? If our people, if you and I would be so bold to say, God, it's yours. And I'm going to give you a tenth. and I'm going to trust you in it. That blows my mind at how simple that is. Just to say, I'm going to take a tenth and it's, use it. This is exciting to see how it's going to happen. So that's the challenge. So if you are giving, I challenge you to do that. If you aren't, I'm sorry, if you aren't giving, I challenge you to give. But if you are giving, here's what I want to encourage you. Give as well. For the next 90 days, I want to challenge you, myself included, to say, on top of your tithe, we would call that an offering. Ask the Lord, say, God, what, what else? I've been functioning on this 90%. Is there anything else that I have fallen complacent where I need to say, I need to give this to you? And, and further deepen that. The goal is where we're just, we're functioning in faith. That's the goal here. God knows what you need. He knows how much you need. And upon our diligence, upon our surrender to him, he will make that happen. But we need to be a people of faith. And that requires us to be in a place where we say, God, I don't know how, but you will. May that be who we are. I long to be a people who wholeheartedly chase after Jesus. And church, if we can do that with our money, look out, Satan. If we can surrender our money, he's not getting us. Because that money has a way like nothing else to grip our hearts. We can't be a master of Jesus and money. So we need to say, hey, get rid of this. It's not my master. King Jesus is. And watch what he does. Because I long, I feel like this has been a mantra of my life, is I long for you to taste and see the goodness of the Lord. And you can't taste it from the boat. I want you to taste his faithfulness, his goodness that's running after us. I want you to taste that. I want you to taste how personal he is, that he sees you, you. You matter to him, and he provides for you. He is good. And I long for you to taste that you can trust 
the Lord. You can. And that's what happens when you give God some, knowing he owns all. So let's test God with our tithe. I think I would be remiss if I didn't conclude with God's given us so much more than a tenth. He gave us his son. (laughs) Sorry, I, I love my son. I don't know how he could do that. Yeah, parents in the room. We get it. God has given us so much more than a tenth. How dare we say we don't, we're going to hold on to a hundred. If you're in the room and you know the story, the gospel, that Jesus Christ is the sacrificial lamb, the son of God that came to the earth to rescue us, to rescue you, to save you from this pit, from this chasm that you could not cross, And he said, I will go to the cross and bear your sin so that you can have relationship with God, which is ultimately what we need. We were made for relationship, a worship of God. And that's why we have this huge chasm, this hole in our hearts that is God-sized. We need, we were made for him and everything in our life is crying for a relationship with him. And he did something about it. Though we were born in sin, he made him who knew no sin become sin on our behalf so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That God looks upon us as we receive the free gift of Jesus' sacrifice and say, I'm going to follow you. And now we can walk in newness of life. We, have, we can run and not grow weary. We can soar and not grow faint. Remember the Titans. We can run and chase after Jesus, not afraid that we'll step on a landmine. Following the good shepherd who creates green pastures for us, there is life to be had, and that life is with the Lord. If you've experienced that gospel, then how could we not return what is already his? If you haven't, may today be the day of salvation. Today will you say, God, I see, I hear, I respond to your knocking on my heart and I'm saying, you can have my life. I'm gonna choose today to begin that journey, surrendering my life to you a little at a time, one degree of glory to the next and see that he will not shower you with blessings as you surrender your heart to him. It's hard. Count the cost. It's gonna cost you your life, surrendering your life to him, but it's so worth it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of your discipline. That you love us enough to correct us where we are wrong. To help us see the error of our ways where we're seeking for life and fulfillment and purpose and things that are not you. Because you know that you are ultimately who we need. So Father, I I just thank you for waking me up that your word does not return void. Thank you for this passage that is uncomfortable. And thank you for being someone who is so much bigger than our sin, so much bigger than our circumstances, someone who's worthy of all of our life, and that with you, we have refuge, true refuge in the one who is the Lord of hosts. Father, I pray against the enemy who wants to lie and steal and kill and destroy in our hearts. 
Father, may today be the day where we turn to you and we surrender to you and we respond and return to you what is rightly yours. Would you do a work in each of us? And may we leave this place changed as doers of the word, not hearers. Father, we long to see your work accomplished. We want to see miracles. We want to see you take our two fish and five loaves and work miracles among us. So Father, we ask you to do that and help us have eyes to see and and know how and where we can get involved in what you want to do, not what we want to do. So we surrender to you, King Jesus, and we ask that you will have your way in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. I promise that it does not all come, this series, as mere conviction. Okay, there is light, there is hope. In the next couple weeks, we're going to see the freshness, the goodness that comes from Malachi, the rest of three and four. So stick around for that, and we will see you next Sunday. And I apologize for the sniffles, but have a great Sunday.